0: You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Associate Minister Joel Snibson.
1: Today's reading is from 2 Peter, Chapter 1, Verses 1-10. to I, Simon Peter, am writing this letter. I serve Jesus Christ. and his apostle. I am sending this letter to you. You are those who have received a faith as valuable as ours. You've received it because our God and saviour Jesus Christ does what is right. May more and more grace and peace be given to you. May May they come to you as you learn more about God and about Jesus our Lord. God's power has given us everything we need to lead a godly life. All of this has come to us because we know the God who chose us. He chose us because of his own glory and goodness. He has also given us his very great and valuable promises. He did it so you could share in his nature. You can share in it because you've escaped from the evil in the world. Evil is caused by sinful desires. So you should try very hard to add goodness to your faith. To goodness, add knowledge. To knowledge, add the ability to control yourselves. To the ability to control yourselves, add the strength to keep going. To the strength to keep going, add the godliness. To godliness, add kindness for one another. And and to kindness for one another, add love. And these things should describe you more and more. They will make you useful and fruitful as you know our Lord Jesus Christ better. But what if these things don't describe someone at all? Then that person can't see very well. In fact, they are blind. They have forgotten that their past sins have been washed away. My brothers and sisters, try very hard to show that God has appointed you to be saved. Try hard to show that he has chosen you. If you do everything I have just said, you will never trip and fall. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. Hi St. John's, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you love us and that you know us and you want us to help us live for you in all of life. And I pray as we open your word, you help us by the power of your spirit to apply it to our hearts and lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in my 20s, my favourite car was my silver Honda Civic. It was a manual and it was secondhand, but it was my car and I loved it. I kept it in great condition. And I was living in Brisbane at the time. And if you know Brisbane at all, when it storms, it really storms. And there was hail in this storm and the hail was the size of golf balls. And unfortunately, my car was not undercover, so the car got badly hit. There was how damage everywhere. Every panel had some damage on it. There was dents everywhere. So luckily, I had a comprehensive car insurance at the time. And if you've got your car fixed by a panel beater, you'll know that they use these big machines to suck out the dents, and they suck out one dint at a time. And honestly, my car looked better than it looked before the storm. Every din had been fixed. The car looked brand new. Well, as we start our new series today in two Peter, our series is called Always Remember, today Peter challenges us to follow Jesus in living a godly life. See, sometimes even as Christians, we are like my car after the storm. We have dints and we have damage in various places. And today, Peter is warning a church in modern-day Turkey who are becoming dinted by living like the world around them. They faced many temptations and hardships living as a Christian minority. They are being led astray by false teachers, and if they were a car, they really needed repair. See, they struggle to believe that the godly life with Jesus is the best life. And in our context, in many ways, we are not too different from them. See, in our culture, increasingly living a godly life has seen as irrelevant. No one really cares about godly character. In our workplaces, our HR departments don't really care what we do outside of work. As long as we're not being rude to other people, as long as we're getting our job done, they're like, you do you as long as our social media profiles don't impact the company brand. (laughs) See, the idea of holiness is often seen as us thinking that we are better than everyone else, that we take all the joy, all the fun out of life. Once we were called wowsers, now we're called mean bigots. We just need to chill out. Maybe we want to be godly, But using my car analogy, when I speak of the godly life, you might picture a car that's just driven fresh out of a showroom, not even a scratch on it. But you might better relate to my car after the storm, dins everywhere, caused by our sin, caused by our character issues that negatively affects our daily lives, our relationships with other people. And maybe we struggle to believe that God would fix our dents. We've been told a leopard doesn't change its spots. So what do we do? Well, in verse 3, Peter first shows us that godliness is about what we have in Jesus. Come with me to verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through the knowledge of him who has called us out us by his own glory and goodness. So through faith in Jesus, we receive his divine power. These are some of the most wonderful and profound promises in all of the Bible here. See, Jesus gives us everything for a godly life. And his power is for right now. We have every heavenly resource at our disposal to live for him and with him right now. Do we actually live like this is true for us? See, if Jesus' power is completely sufficient, it means that godliness is not just for those few, holy, super spiritual people. This is for all believers. Jesus' power is not like a VIP access-only pass. It's for everybody. But Jesus' power is ultimately not about us. It's not even about our story of coming to faith. It's not about our years of faithfully serving in the church. This power is all about Jesus' glory and his goodness. Look to verse 4. Through these, he has given us every very great and precious promises. So to live this godly life, we receive Jesus' power, but we also receive his promises and if you're familiar with the Bible, we see that it's full of God's promises to his people. As early as the Garden of Eden, we see this. You might remember God's promise to Noah to not flood the earth again. As we consider the promises in Peter's letters, the focus of these promises is actually our future with Jesus. The Jesus is coming back again as our judge and he's coming back again to reign with his people in glory forever. So we have Jesus' power and we have his promises as we continue in verse 4 so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Let's just stop for a moment. Considering all the dints in our lives, this is quite remarkable. This is mind-blowing that with Jesus, we're given everything to share in God's own life. While we don't become God, when we trust in Jesus, spiritually, we're united with him. We become one with him through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the timeline for this is important. On this side of eternity, we're living between the power that we've received in Jesus through what he's done and between the future promise to come where we will share glory with him forever. And we're living in this in-between time right now where we're in this lifelong process where Jesus' power is transforming us to become more like him. Peter says, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. See, with Jesus, our escape isn't trying to escape this world like being in some weird cult. The word world here in the Greek actually means sinful people. We've escaped lives, being captivated by sin and facing God's judgment. See, the point is you don't go back to where you've escaped from. Think about the Ukrainian refugees who have escaped out of war-torn Ukraine. They're not going back there until well after the war is over. See, it's all about where you escape to, isn't it? Thinking about it, some people have gone to Poland where they can know safety, where they can receive income, where they can now live in freedom and live a new life. So having escaped sin and escaped to Jesus we have every power and every promise to live a godly life with him. So Peter says in verse 5 for this reason make for this very reason sorry make every effort to add to your faith and then he goes on to list a bunch of things. So thinking about making every effort we shouldn't miss verse 1 where Peter says it's because of Jesus' righteousness that we receive faith in him. If you're checking out Christianity, know that we all come to Jesus dinted up by sin. We come to him broken, with damaged panels on us, and he makes us one with him because of Jesus' holiness, because of his godliness taking the cross in our place and rising to new life, making us righteous. Our efforts cannot add to our salvation. We can't add to the cross. But Peter's point here is that Jesus' power and promises don't end there. See, the godly life is not about what we're being saved from. The godly life is about what we're being saved to, a new life with Jesus. And That's why Peter says, make every effort to add to your faith. And verse 10, therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. See, godliness is becoming who we already are. See, God's sovereign work in our lives must be accompanied with us taking responsibility for his work in us. See, coming to Jesus, we are like my dinted car. And Jesus' power transforms our daily lives one dint at a time. But this requires our cooperation. And we cooperate because we know the great cost that Jesus paid for it. Imagine with my car that the insurance pairs have been approved by the insurer and have been paid for in full, But I just couldn't be bothered to book the car in and take the car in to get repaired, so I left the car all damaged. You'd say, you're crazy. What a waste. Why would you do that? See, in my case, the car was paid for in... The car's repairs were paid for in full, and so I took it in, and the panel beater goes about his work fixing every dent using his special tools. I didn't fix anything. But I had to cooperate with the process. I was not passive in it. I had to intentionally put my effort in to ensure that the car was repaired. I had to take the car in to be assessed. I had to book it in for the repair. I had to take time off work to drive the car in. I had to arrange other transport in the meantime so I could get around. See, how we live matters. Jesus is our saviour, but he is also our Lord. And the challenge is, do our daily lives reflect that he is our king? See, in my life, pivotal moments of being called to godliness have been all about who is Lord of my life. Is it Jesus? Is it myself? Is it some other idol that's captivating my heart? And in these key moments, the Holy Spirit has convicted me to take steps to cooperate with what he's doing. Practically, this required me to make hard choices to remove myself from certain things for a period. Things that I idolized over Jesus. It involved me saying no to certain things. It involved me saying yes to certain things. It involved me doing things I do not feel like doing. I had to make every effort. And the challenge remains in my life in different ways to this day. See, godliness requires our cooperation. In Colossians 3, it describes cooperating with Jesus' power in our lives by taking off our old dirty clothes, like discarding our old way of life, our old practices ruled by sin. But it doesn't end there. It also says about putting on Christ, like getting dressed in the morning. I'm not a morning person. And if I've had a bad night's sleep, even the prospect of getting dressed takes effort. See, we rarely feel like putting on godliness or perseverance or self-control. It's way easier to stay in our old, dirty clothes of sin and selfishness. See, one of the most practical ways we cooperate with God's work in us is through prayer. By praying, we're expressing complete dependence on God. We're saying, God, you are in control and I am not. You are God and I am not. Lord, I need your power in my life in the small things, in the big things. See, looking at this list of godliness in verses 5 to 7, see, living in Jesus' power is very practical. It's very unimpressive in many ways. It's in very down-to-earth things. See, this list of stuff is about our character, our character reflecting the character of God himself, It's describing fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. There's no logical order to this list. But the point is, if Jesus' power and promises are real, they're to infiltrate every part of our daily lives. See, we often separate our lives into different boxes, don't we? We've got our work life over here, and then we've got our family life over here, maybe our leisure, entertainment, our finances, We have our friends over here, we might have our church or spiritual life over here, and we like to keep everything separate and organized in our life. But Peter is saying Jesus' power is meant to infiltrate everything. See godliness is for every part of life. See this list is a picture of a well-rounded Christian, which means every part is vital. Imagine when I took the car into the panel beater, I asked them to only fix some panels, to leave some parts still dinted. Even though the insurance payment paid for the whole repair, I'm like, don't worry about fixing that. Don't worry about fixing that part. That'd be craziness. See, this isn't a list where we pick and choose from our preferred ways of being godly. You know, I'll do the knowledge thing, But the mutual affection thing I don't want to do because people are really draining. So we need to be growing in the whole list. See, Jesus' power impacts our relationship with God, our relationship with ourselves, and our relationship with other people. So let's read it through, verses 5 to 7. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, And to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. What stands out to you? What areas in you are clearly lacking? How can we be growing in our knowledge of Jesus, reflecting on his word each day during the week? Reading books, listening to podcasts, listening to audio books, learning about God. Enjoying time with God in prayer each day. See, this isn't intellectualism. This is looking for God in all of life. Loving the Lord with all our heart, our strength, but also our mind. See, it's not just learning information, but seeking transformation. Really wanting to know Jesus at a deeper level so that we love him more, and obey him more, and thank him more, overflowing from our heads and our hearts to our hands and to those around us. How's the Holy Spirit calling us to self-control? How subject are we to our emotions, our thoughts, other people's demands? Are we finding our pleasure, our comfort in Jesus or in mindlessly binging television or food or having that next glass of wine or in sexual sin? How is the Spirit challenging our reactions when frustrated, when tempted to gossip, when in the unseen? How is the Spirit calling us to perseverance? In a world that tells us to quit when the going gets tough, what suffering or difficulty are we to remain steadfast in? Finding strength to trust in Jesus and continue running the race when everything inside us is screaming to give up. In these moments, can we even rejoice knowing that he's refining fire in our suffering is never wasted, but it's proving our faith as genuine as we're being refined like gold and he's getting rid of our impurities so we're more like him. How's the spirit calling us to mutual affection and love in a world that so quickly judges and shames and gives up on and ghosts people and avoids difficult conversations? The word actual mutual affection comes from the word love that is shared within a family. How's the spirit calling us to show family-like love to that person, to serve them, to forgive them, to listen to them, to enter their pain? Who's the spirit calling us to bless who cannot repay it to us? But what mutual relationships is he calling us to where growing in godliness is not only serving and loving others but allowing other people to serve and love us as well? See, love is the last word. Love is the greatest character trait, binding them all together, Jesus' power at work in us. See, godliness is God's plan to grow us. Look to verse 8. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, from verse 5, it's tempting to think that once we've received faith, all these other things listed requires our strength and our effort. But verse 8 makes it pretty clear that we already possess these qualities, which is called to grow in them, becoming who we already are in Jesus. See, we'll never arrive in godliness in this lifetime. God will always have dents in us to be working on until the day we die. But if we cooperate with God's work in us, we should be increasingly seeing growth in our lives. We cannot encounter Jesus and not change. See, one of the things that I love about working at St. John is I get to go to Leith Park once a month with the team. And what I love is seeing their deep love and their joy in Jesus, seeing what 80 or so years of Jesus' power and promises is doing, transforming them. See, we might look at this list and see all our dints and see how far we have to go, and we can feel a bit disheartened, can't we? But friends, our call is not to compare ourselves with others. We should compare ourselves. We're where we have come from. Think about your life 10 years ago. What areas of your character has there been growth? Has where sins have been dealt with? Where struggles with unforgiveness overcome? Where idols that once consumed your heart no longer have a grip on you? This is Jesus' power at work in you. If it's anger or rage, are we still reacting, flying off the handle at any small inconvenience? Or now have we learned to calmly share our frustrations with gentleness and love? See, over the last few years, you might feel pretty beaten up by your sin. Maybe you've even gone backwards in certain areas. See, spiritually, we all have peaks and troughs. We have dry moments, but overall, is that the trajectory of our trends going upwards as we effectively know Jesus more and more? See, maybe our growth is simply just being more aware of sins and dints in our lives that we're completely oblivious of at a time gone by. But godliness is not always a function of time. A new Christian who's intentionally following Jesus In all areas of their lives, they're cooperating with spirit's work, can grow in godliness in five years more than someone who's been a believer for 30 years who's resisting God's work in them. See, verse 9, Peter warns us of being spiritually complacent. He says it's dangerous. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Friends, if we're not growing in godliness, we are forgetful. We are blind to all that we have in Jesus, past, present, and future. We can't cut corners to godliness. When I moved back to Melbourne from Brisbane, I drove my Honda Civic back down. It was a long drive, but I enjoyed it. And when I was back in Melbourne, I went out for dinner one night and I parked my car on the street. And what happened is a drunk driver came along and took out my car, along with all these other cars. um, And every panel on one side of the car was damaged. It was like a crushed can. But at this stage, I was a poor Bible college student, and I only had third-party insurance at this stage. So at this point in time, I was not covered. And to make things worse, the driver refused to pay for the repairs. So I got the car fixed uh, in a cheap backyard job. Instead of the dents being sucked out by the machine, uh, this time the dints were covered over with clay or bog. And the difference wasn't just cosmetic. The car was now weighed down. It was now heavier. It didn't drive like it used to. The dents may have been covered over, but they were still there underneath all that clay. The car was never the same. See, like my car's shoddy repair job, our attempts to hide our dints from other people denies Jesus' cleansing power in our lives. It's blind to God's plan for us to become who he has made us to be. See, we don't need to hide our dints. We don't need to justify them saying, this is just who I am. Our growth in godliness is about Jesus' glory and his goodness. It's not about us. So it means we've got nothing to prove to each other. Jesus' power accomplish, accomplishes it all. So here amongst our Christian community, during our, our life groups, during the week, we can be real, we can be honest. We can share about those areas of our character that we need Jesus' power to grow us and transform us. As we heard from Hebrews last week, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us encourage each other to become who we already are in Jesus. Yes, Jesus calls us to a really high standard of godliness, but he gives us every possible resource to get there. We have Jesus' own very power. We have his word. We have one another. We have everything we need for godly lives to so have power to more effectively overcome temptation, power to persevere in those really difficult times, power to sacrificially love other people. We have escaped the life that is ruled by sin, and Jesus has paid for our repair job in full, and he actually wants to deal with our dints. So let's submit to our lives to his rule that he has for us. So let's get on board with his eternal plan. Let's not resist, but cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that wants to deal with those specific things. Friends, life with Jesus is the most thrilling, the most fulfilling life. We have Jesus' power, but we also have his great and precious promises. Amen